You're listening to Off the Record on KBVR Corvallis. Hello and welcome. I am DJ Florite, and today I'm super excited to be joined by Tom, Devin, and Jacob of Moon Tower. So you all met in college at the USC music program. What profession or major would you have chosen if it wasn't music? I think for me, Jacob, um, I'm Jacob. <laughs> um, I've done some sort of like religious studies or maybe also like some anthropology program. For for me, Tom, I'm Tom. Uh, <laughs> I would have done something along the line of like programming or something led down a coding route. For me, Devin, I'm Dev. Uh, I would do, probably would have done an electrical engineering program in the engineering school. Cool. And how did you guys find your sound together as a band? Oh, man. Yeah. We worked on a lot of music for quite a long time before we released anything. And uh, I feel like William is when we really just like found what we were trying to do, at least for season one. And we talk about this all the time. We don't know where the gosh darn song William came from. (laughs) And it feels like we woke up one day and we had just kind of like finished the production. I know that Jacob and Devin had worked on this kind of chorus and the thing was... It's too late for you, but you won't let that stop you, will ya, will ya? And when they played it for me, I thought they were saying William, William, not will ya, will ya? But the sound of it... And we were like, that's cool. Yeah, so we leaned into it. (laughs) We like to say that we're like if the Killers met Daft Punk. So Devin records a lot of awesome guitars. I chop them up. And then then Jacob says sad things on top of it. You know, yeah. So then did... Naming it William because of like your friend William come before or after this misunderstanding. Can't comment on that. <laughs> on, on the entry of William that's Hollywood, uh, that is this highly privileged. Yeah, top secret. Really, yeah. Where, where, where did we meet William? We met William, I think he was, I was just at my house in, in the suburbs and he was in the mountains, yeah. in the hills above the suburbs. And he, and, he, and he came down to you and he was like, you know, malnourished. He looked like he, you know, hadn't hadn't like took a he shower said, in months. He said, "May you spare me a plum, sir?" And yeah. I, I did. I spared him a plum, mm-hmm. and he never left. And here we all are. Yeah. What's he up to these days? Uh, he um, is. He actually directed our uh, short film that we're going to be releasing. Yep. Along with the album, um, he, we don't really do anything without William Insulting. Hollywood's permission. Yeah. He kind of runs the band. We'd say creative director, but it's more like he's the creative genius. <laughs> yeah, he kind of like lives in our heads as as a puppet master. It's kind of the vibe. Yeah, we don't we have very little volition. Yeah. William controlled. William William, controlled. William Hollywood controlled. Yeah. <laughs> so you guys just released After Dark from your upcoming album. Yep. What inspired this song? I mean, for me, like it was just about like, you know, relationships that I've had in my life and coming to terms with the fact that because, you know, like th- this, this band is just like such an uh, incredible priority in my life. It sometimes doesn't leave as much room for other relationships as I'd like it to at times, but like clearly, you know, I feel right putting 
my main focus like into this project. And it's just kind of like this naive desire to wish that you can have everything in life and that there's more than 24 hours in a day, which of course there isn't. But sometimes it's nice to just live in that delusional space for a second. Yeah, I think there's a lyric in the bridge that it, it's it's a um, pretty on the nose. It's before I choose to lose my time before the moon, words will never be enough for you. And it's both saying that because we have these, you know, be it moon tower or just be it a day job, it's a lot of the times the only time that you have to spend with other people is this time kind of in the middle of the night before I choose to lose my time before the moon, before I choose to dedicate my days to something else, then it's this foregone conclusion. You you try to have it all, but it's an impossibility. Jacob wrote this song pretty pretty on his own, but uh Which is which is pretty rare. But yeah, it is very rare. And but it's a it's a really heavy hitting one, I know, for me and Dev. Yeah, there's it's almost the question I ask a lot when I listen and hear the song is is this it's not necessarily a problem, but is this reality going to be the truth always? Yeah. And so that's why the song for me is very bittersweet because obviously this project has created a lot of amazing things, but it's also been the failure point for a bunch of amazing relationships. And you can't help but wonder what the ending of those would have been had the other circumstances been different. So it's just a, it's very much in real time us sharing this reality of trade-offs and choice and things that we can't change, things that we can't change. Yeah. As much as even it seems like musicians have amazing jobs, because uh, we do, we're still trying to have it all and all is in everything. Yeah. And is that kind of a theme throughout the whole album or was there like what else inspired the album like as a whole? I think that I mean, there's definitely a big theme on the album of, you know, difficult relationships or or coming to terms with certain life choices. But I think the thread through the album as a whole sort of like going off what Devil was saying is just having difficult conversations and broaching topics, whether it be with loved ones, with relationships, with friends, family, you know, um, anybody in your life. And, and just kind of like laying all your own faults and realities to bear from, you know, from this sort of period in our lives. For me, I really think like a lot of this album... I needed to say just so I could move on and then now say the next thing with the music that we're working on. It's like sort of like this is closing a chapter of of my life, of our lives. And I think even sonically, like to, to going back to your first question, like I think this is sort of the closure of a certain like sonic exploration for the band, something that we've been trying to do since, you know, we started making music together. And now that this is out, we're really excited to kind of like wipe the slate clean and think about a whole new way of making music. So the album is also, as all of our albums are, uh, well, will be, it, it, it's a concept record. And in the concept, it takes place on a, on a plane. The plane is called Air Take Care. And one of, one of the ways that it can be interpreted is you, you sit down on a plane, you're bored and you sit down next to someone that you lost touch with and you have a plane ride basically to catch up with them. And in some ways that's a proxy for the relationships that we lost during quarantine. And yeah. when we came back out of this two and a half year weird isolationary bubble, what do you have to say? Who are you? What, you know, if you only have kind of the same way that we were talking about in After Dark, time is a zero sum game. If you use an hour for something, it can't be used for something else. How do you how do you summarize 
who you are right now in a way that would give you and them closure. So ditto what everything, everything Jacob said, but also it definitely is inside of a bit of a concept. And I'll jump ahead to one of the later questions, but how did you decide on the like air take care theme? Like, how did you guys come up with this concept? It's, it's, uh, we love the liminal space, like area that the record uses to tell the story. I guess the, the airline itself, we had two options and we chose the one that would be better searchable. Uh, so as to not confuse it with the Drake project. <laughs> yeah, we almost had Take Care Air. And then we realized if you ever say, hey, Alexa, can you play the album Take Care Air? It would then play. it would be like, just play the Drake album. Yeah. <laughs> but, but I also think Air Take Care rolls off the tongue. I, the problem with Take Care Air is it sounds like Take Care. Terror. Terror. The, there's a lyric on, the, um, on probably the oldest song that made it on the record where the song starts by saying, I wrote this for you on a plane that was going down. And we really kind of leaned into that lyric and, and thought about how do we expand that? And like two and a half years later, here we are and following I, that down. I literally wrote that lyric on a plane, like from California to New York, that for some weird reason, like I had this premonition that the plane was going to go down. I was like, but I wasn't, worried or upset i just was like i feel like this plane is gonna crash and obviously it didn't but the next day i went through like a really terrible breakup so i think i was like something in my head was <laughs> telling me something was gonna crash but i think like a plane really just represents i think we, we rarely have control over anything in our lives but when you're on a plane it's very apparent how little control you have over you know your destiny for that period of time so it felt like the right place to tell a story about trying to find control in things that you ultimately have, have no, control no control over. Yeah. <laughs> no one knows how to fly a plane besides the pilot. Even now, probably series flying the plane, you know? I have to imagine. Yeah. When stuff like that is happening, are you writing it as it's happening? Or do you, like, process it and then revisit and write a song about it? I feel like some songs take five minutes and yeah. some songs take 15 months or longer. Totally. We have a lot on this project that um, got a song called Hide in Plain Sight that we were going to release a shorter version of it that was literally produced and, and, and written and recorded all in the course of like a single day. And then, and then we have songs more like Where Do We Go From Here that, was, that were originally like two or three songs. Yeah. And then we like took that bit from this song, this bit from that song, and this bit from that song and... And, and mashed it together until it felt like it was saying finally the right thing. Yeah. I think you know in your gut when it's right. And the frustrating thing about our, our art, I don't know if I can say this grander is like this is the way that all art works, but I don't think the same thing happens twice. I don't think lightning strikes the same way twice. Yeah. And then back to After Dark. So there's also a music video that goes along with this single. Yeah. Can you talk about the creative process that went into making the music video for that? So uh, I feel like I'm talking a lot. So no, but this is, I mean, uh, you, this is, this is, it was Tom's idea. Like this, um, this video. There's a, yeah, I've had some videos that I've wanted to make for a long time. This is one of them. And I'm so, so happy that it's out in the world. It was really as simple as, as, when we're talking about impossible relationships and trade-offs and the zero-sum games and everything, uh, a balloon that's in love with attack. And 
it will never work. It never can work. It's a it's a total. It's like a dog that's in love with a mailman. It's a bubble boy. Yeah. Um, it's a bubble boy love. So we made this video in the style of some of the uh, the the French music videos from the from like Ed Banger French house artists that are very surreal. It's got obviously an anthropomorphized. I can't say that word. Anthropomorphized balloon. <laughs> balloon has a face. <laughs> <laughs> so it's in the style of this guy named Quentin Dupuis who makes these movies. He made one called Rubber and one called Mandubles about a giant fly. Uh, he also does music videos for his artist projects called Mr. Wazo. The video is very, very inspired by Ed Banger French House music videos. And uh, it was made by our friends Helen and Laura. They kind of took this concept. They were very inspired by it. And, you know, we, we had much, much longer conversations, but they were like, we really, really, really want to make this music video. We want it to be, you know, for our reel. We want to do all this. So the band itself, which is very different than anything we've ever done before, we were not there for the filming of the video. We were, if we had been tasked with doing it, which we almost did, we would have done it much cheaper. I was just going to like tie a balloon onto an RC car and fill it with helium and have it like walk around. Helen and Laura and their whole team made something run and gun in like literally a day and a half that looks so much more beautiful and professional and uh, captures a little bit of a different angle of the balloon and the tax story than, than what we were expecting. And we're so proud of it. They're going to submit it to festivals. I think that, as we as we often say, like with our season one videos, we're looking forward to that video having its day in the sun. We're not stressed about numbers right now, but we think if you do want to go down deeper into the rabbit hole, the the, the air take care rabbit hole is, is as deep as you want to take it. Yeah, and it's a piece of the short film that we're releasing later this year. So we've got a twenty five minute short film that goes with the album. Exciting. Yeah. And then I understand if you don't want to answer this to, you know, keep the movie magic a secret. But like, (laughs) what like mechanics and like editing went into them creating this video and like the balloon character? Shockingly practical. It was like, yeah, very little in the way of um, obviously, I mean, there's there's cuts, but they made the the balloon was was the balloon with its facial expressions and moving and everything. That's all real worlds. Wow. Okay. So it was just a real balloon the whole time. Oh yeah. I, I, I think it was like made out of something else. Like I think it was like more solid. I don't think it was like full of helium. I think it may have been like on a string or something. Mm-hmm. I'm not exactly sure, but it, it it wasn't it wasn't an actual balloon. But it was all real materials. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Cool. It wasn't CGI, so we can't afford that. No. <laughs> and you guys kind of talked about this a little bit, but like, what's your songwriting process like aside from what you've already said? They're all wildly, wildly yeah, different. All over the place. I feel like the thing. There's like two truths. One is like dev, or one of the truths is sort of our the places where maybe we excel individually, which is like for dev, it's on the harmony side of things and the soundscape. It's, you know, a lot of guitar parts, keys, parts, um, devs diving down, sonic rabbit holes, creating sort of like 
maybe the colors you could call it that we play with in our productions. Tom's very focused on rhythm. And so drum and bass, chopping things up, song structures, taking ideas that we have and turning and flipping them over. So he's sort of like, you know, sometimes plays like the Rick Rubin role in that like he's like a minimizer. And then I do a lot of the like melody and lyric. And that's all true. But then the other thing that's also true is like, it's never the best it can be until all three of us have put our hands on sort of every part of it. You know, even after dark, like I wrote the entire song, like on piano and then showed it to them. But it changed after that, like melodies changed, lyrics changed, song structures changed. Um, But in that case, it was just helpful. It was most helpful for me to come in with, you know, a lot of the song figured out. Sometimes it's only helpful for me to come in with a single line. Sometimes it's helpful for Tom to produce an entire track. Sometimes it's helpful for Tom to not touch something until the very end, you know, whatever. Like the, the point is, is we, we live in service of, of the art that we're making. We try to speak up where we feel most confident, but also try to stay open to knowing that, you know, there's three people here who can, you know, well, I can't, but <laughs> there's two people here who can do every part of the process. <laughs> and I help. <laughs> uh, I'm not uh, the best producer in the world. But yeah, it's it's really fun to just like to stay open when we're making music and sometimes to fight. Like is that's a really important process too. Like passion um, and tension can sometimes really make you, you know, think about what is truly something that you care about because it's the right thing or something you care about because like you're just being egotistical about it. Which is like lessons you can only learn through a little bit of tension. And how long did After Dark take to write? After Dark is interesting because it didn't didn't feel like it clicked until we started treating the song sections as we wrote them differently in the production. Like we were trying to treat the chorus as a chorus, and it started unlocking things when we started treating the chorus like a pre-chorus yeah. in the production, and then the post-chorus as the chorus. And the guy who pushed us to do that, I think, was was Alan, who goes by Big Data. And he executive produced the album and he came in at the 11th hour and did gave us some uh, songwriting help and big picture help. And then Michael Coleman, who is an incredible producer, and he really took the songs the last 7% and made them, took them from great to amazing. So those two people really helped, helped the energy flow of After Dark. I feel like After Dark, though, to maybe answer your question, maybe it took a year. That sounds right. Sounds right. Oh, yeah. And then one other thing. Whistler from Hippocampus played drums on it. Yeah. Sick. And murdered it. He murdered it. He, he, he does. He's, he's great at playing drums. <laughs> so in 2018, Jacob said, I just write really sad lyrics and let Tom and Dev put big dance beats behind it. Would you say this is still true? <laughs> still true. Still very true. No. OK, I will say this like. I'm not going to speculate on to what our music will be in the future. But if any of the stuff that we're doing now makes it into the world, it's pretty happy. It is pretty happy. Like, I'm writing actual love songs for the first time in my life. That's pretty cool. So, I've never done that. Maybe nobody wants happy music, but, 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 but F them. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to get it. You're getting happy music. You're getting happy music. Too bad. Nerd. (laughs) (laughs) Happy music is good sometimes. Yeah, it just seems like nobody wants it. But 
Too bad. It's because Phoebe Bridgers has conditioned us to only want super, super depressing music. I, I agree, and I love her, but I cannot listen. I, I, I love her because I cannot listen to her music all the time. Yeah. It's only for certain moments in my life. Oh, yeah. No, Boy Genius, the last album, some of those songs are starting to sound like happy pop songs to me because <laughs> I've listened to it so much. That's that's how you know you're in trouble. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but so can we can we expect more sad bops on the album or is it taking a turn? Yeah, on this album, yeah, this, this is a sad bop album. Okay, it's a fabulous. Sad, I mean, it's, it's uh, yeah, there's no way around it. This album has a little bit of a of a sad tense and where it's headed is kind of sad. And then after this album comes out, we're going to be releasing a um, kind of some reimaginings of the record that maybe have the same emotional capacity, but are twisted a little bit from north to northeast, maybe. Yeah, south by northeast. Yeah. That sounds very exciting. Is that is that in the near future or far future? This year. This year. Yeah. Okay, cool. The album's coming out in August, so... It's it's it'll be soon after the album. And for anyone that has been waiting for the album, we appreciate your patience so much. Our advice to you in life is don't get signed because it takes forever. <laughs> is there a lyric that you've written that you're surprised fans have held on to? Jacob wrote this one. Our friends, well, a, 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 someone that comes to a lot of Moon Tower shows uh, named Maggie had uh, matching tattoos that said "Say la distance." which I'm going to butcher the pronunciation of. Say le destin. Which is, this is destiny? Yeah, it's destiny. It's destiny. It's in French, and it's a lyric from the second single from the album, Who Knew? Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. They've, yeah, like, they've got matching. That's really cool. Say le destin. Yeah, then that's definitely my answer, too. Yeah, it's so it's so rad, because, you know, we, we've got a lot of lyrics. A lot. This album's very lyrical. You don't expect the ones in other languages to be the ones that people hold on to. So, yeah, I'd say, if anything, the, the French parts of Hunu, the fact that the, the friends and fans are kind of holding on to, the, to those and making those their own is so rad. Same for you, Devin? Yeah, that's a pretty good answer. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's a good answer. I was looking about to say, no, like, it's not that I expect everybody to hold on to every lyric, but, like, we put so much care into the music, so it's, you know, any, anything would be cool. But I have no idea they didn't have. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. We did it's also Maggie and Heather, I believe, in the same oh, vein. Yeah. We took out something we had on the intro of Who Knew that one of our fans <laughs> yesterday was mad that we took it out. She was like, "I was listening to it and it wasn't there anymore." Yep. So it's kind of funny live. I guess we still say it and people still sing along to it. It'll be interesting as years go on and we get new fans if they're gonna know or not know. They used to say embrace one. They used to say embrace one. It's like the deep moon tower lore. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's got to be. Otherwise, what's the point of sticking around? Can you talk about the relationship that you have with your fans? Like what you just said, and then also how you started like the Discord so they can meet each other and how you guys do free meet and greets at your shows. Yeah, I think like we're just fortunate at this point in our career, like wherever moon tower is and it's life cycle of popularity i mean we haven't like gone super viral on the internet like maybe we will but we're not trying to like that's just a game that you can really just lose years of your life trying to do yep so the whatever fan base is here 
we've made because we've toured a lot and played a lot of shows. And it means like, of course, like it's hard to literally know everybody because your brain can literally only remember like 150 faces at a time. But we have met most people who follow us online at a show. And this is a really wonderful way. And we feel really fortunate to be able to build a community that way. Because other than, you know, putting out really meaningful music, and like Tom always says, like contributing what we feel is great art to the collection of great art in the world, going out and playing shows and being with people face to face is the, you know, second most important reason why we do this and we totally understand that like you know if this gets to a certain point where the fan base doubles or doubles again after that like you know we may not be able to have the same level of like closeness with our entire community so we're just really like taking really just like you know enjoying this while we can and we set up things like the discord so that you know we can share that feeling with our fans, like, you know, we get to travel all around and see everybody, but they don't get to travel around and meet everybody in the community. So Discord is a way for them to meet each other and really like have to give all credit like to our you know community, like they run that. Like, sure, like we're in it, like we do events and stuff, but they keep that alive, they run that. And it's just beautiful to see like, you have everything from like, you know, people becoming best friends who live in Canada, and you know ohio to two people in houston who never knew that like they literally went to the same high school but they never knew each other and then they show up in the same discord and you know become great friends and, and now have another friend in their town so it's cool it's just it's just great to see that it's like what we hope like the moon as the moon tower community grows we hope that that ethos stays the same yeah that's really awesome other thing that i'll add is just i feel very fortunate that the relationship that we have with our fans feels very easy yeah like when we're at these shows, catching up with them feels like it's just very effortless and it's just amazing to hear stories of college graduations and, you know, like highs and lows. And that's the beautiful thing about touring is getting these updates, just being like the last time I saw you blank was the case, like anything, you know, what's different and just that's the stuff that makes the world feel a lot smaller. Yeah. And we're very grateful for that. And a minute ago, Jacob, you just mentioned like, the internet and going viral and stuff. So how do you feel that the internet has impacted the music business? Really negatively. (laughs) Artists, um, of course, if you decide, I'm just going to get on a soapbox for like, you can timestamp me to like 30 seconds. Of course, if like you decide that you want to be part of like the commercialization of music, if you want to make music your career and you want to pay some semblance of your bills with it, you have to be okay with the fact that like you may ask to be a marketer at at some level. Like you should, have, you need to stand behind your product in the marketplace. That's all fine. I would say that right now there is a undue, undeserved burden on artists to be almost the sole marketers of their own craft, even at the point in which other people are getting involved at very high levels with very large sums of money. There just isn't as much space. And this has been true, you know, through the entire 70, 80 years of like the the current pop music era. But there's just like, is constricting space on artists having freedom to simply just focus on their craft. I think that only is going to hurt the quality of music that gets released into the world. Yeah. I don't really have anything positive. There's no positive spin, not because I think it's hopeless, but I just like don't want to sugarcoat it because even if four people 
even if this message resonates with four people, like we just have to take back that control and space little by little. And like, it's just the reality is like, if, if, if that doesn't happen, we're just going to have to get used to like, it's not worse music because there's no, you can't put a value statement on it like that. But you, I, I just, you don't want your music made with the audience in mind. You want your music and your art made in a place where the artist can solely focus on that. Because I believe we should be hearing from people in their own voices and not what they're interpreting that other people might want to hear sometime in the future. It's just going to, it's just going to lead to a bunch of music that sounds the same. Yeah, no, I completely agree. Like TikTok is doing insane things. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm going to write a song so that these 10 seconds will be known on TikTok. Yep. It's gnarly. And uh, musicians are also not short form video makers. Yeah. No. We are not the best short form video makers. And saying the best short form video makers are the best musicians and the most, you know, deserving of algorithmic push is is gnarly so uh advice to anyone else making music and it's the type of stuff we try and tell ourselves don't look at the numbers because the numbers don't matter and even in the short five years that we've been releasing music they've come to mean very different things and i'm sure in five years they're going to mean even more different things yeah so if you make music that you think is rad and you put it out then you've succeeded yeah should it do large numbers or small numbers, you've already succeeded. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's the thing we're overwhelmed about is just the amount of change that has happened. It's like we knew we knew that staking our our flag in the sand of wanting to be artists that change is just gonna happen and that's change is a good thing, but we never expected I think this level of it. Yeah, and it's a big learning curve. For sure. It it really sucks you in. Like you really just like and it, we it's funny, like we like there's probably three or four separate times where like we got sucked into like, okay, we're going to like go all into this like content thing because it's just like, it just like, it's this little like carrot that keeps getting dangled in front of you. And we're like, frick, we are unhappy. Why are we unhappy? And then we realize, oh yeah, it's because like, because we suck at this. We're, yeah, we're like focusing on the wrong thing. Like so we didn't get into this to, to be video. I mean, we got, we do make videos. We love making videos, but not three a day for... You know for what the ironic thing is, too, is that anytime anyone tells you to make a video, it's probably not going to be the video that you're going to be good at making. Yeah. And and everyone else can tell that. So having anyone tell you to make a TikTok in this style or looking at TikTok and being like, oh, I can do that. Like, I don't know. It smells of inauthenticity and it's counterproductive to the point. Yeah. And it's exhausting. Like I had to take a class where one of it was like viral content and we had to make a TikTok every day. It was they were each, you know, 10 seconds, but it's a lot of work. Wait, you had a class called viral marketing? Viral, viral content. content. Yeah, I'm a digital communication arts major. So like, yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> we're so dead. We're so screwed. We're so screwed. I know. Oh, okay. man. I know. I'm sorry. But hey, I work at the radio. We're keeping radio alive. Keep radio alive. Yeah, we're keeping seriously. radio alive. Do you have any pre-show rituals? Yeah, <laughs> we we repeat lyrics from a song. Um, we're gonna keep that song private right now, but we we recite the song as a prayer, yeah. and it is a very ridiculous song. What's your favorite song to perform? It's always changing for yeah. me right now. It would be you, which is one of the uh, second to last songs on the album. I like long hair. We put long hair back in the set. It's awesome. Yeah, I'd also say Long Hair. Long Hair and Where Do We Go From Here, which is another oh, unreleased yeah. song. That's what... what songs do you sing in the shower? Uh, 
I work on I work on songs in the shower. So some new new songs. And then Tennessee whiskey all the time for no freaking reason. There was a solid couple of months where you were singing Los Angeles like every day in the shower. Oh yeah? So like in at Menlo. Okay. Yeah. St. Vincent. That song Los Angeles Los Angeles. I, I don't I'm not really a huge St. Vincent fan. I, I like her, but that song Los Angeles is like one of the best written songs I've heard. Time After Time by Cindy Lauper from Oh, Tom loves that song. That's a good one. That's my karaoke song. That's a good choice. I've been singing the Sad to Breathe, the new single by Japanese House, Sad to Breathe, a lot. It just hasn't gotten out of my head. What is your favorite form of potato? Oh, that's a great question. I dice them up very small, and then I air fry them after they've been thrown in avocado oil. Ooh, that sounds really good. French fries, but like, like, don't take all the skin off, you know? Like, I want a little bit of, like, fried potato skin. Skinny French fries. Yeah, it sounds gross. Now that I'm skin, I like skin fries. <laughs> um, I've recently been doing uh, mandolins, which is that, you know, the device that just cuts it super thin and then dicing into four. So you have just, like, these really thin and small chip with olive oil or sunflower oil and some garlic, salt and pepper, and a little bit of cayenne. Those all sound really good. Well, actually, I don't know about the skin one. I would try it, but I don't know if I would like it. Wendy's. <laughs> like, Wendy's is a great example. <laughs> I don't like Wendy's fries. Okay. Get rocks. <laughs> I'm sorry. Oh, man, this guy thinks he's a spud. He's not even a spud. I'm not a spud. I'm not a spud. I'm not a spud. He's feeling left out. He's not a I'm spud. Kind of, I feel like I'm left out. Jacob's the only dude with two eyes and not a spud. Okay, finally. Where can listeners find your music and social media? At This Is Moon Tower, www.thisismoontower.com. On Spotify, if you type in Drake and then you click on Related Artists for a long time, <laughs> you might find Moon Tower or you can search for us. Same thing on every other platform. That's a great TikTok idea. How long does it take to get a Wikipedia game? But it's <laughs> how long does it take to get from Drake to Moon Tower? Oh my God. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you, Natalie. Appreciate you. Yeah, thank you so much for coming on my show. That was Moon Tower off the record. Thanks for tuning in. Here's After Dark. Woo! Hope that you can see that I'm a better man than I was three years and 50 weeks ago. Hope you never think that I am better off on my own. You're with me everywhere I go. It's just you like making plans. I don't know if I can. I'm only free after dark. I don't wanna keep you waiting up. Think I'm losing you, cause I'm spending too much time never giving up. So if we don't sleep I think we can have it